Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, everybody? This is the Talking Tactics Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's your boy, Double H. Half to that hope. Hey, everyone. It's Carl Anker. Yep. Uh, this is the Talking Tactics Podcast. We do this every Tuesday. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, SoundCloud, all the Talking Tactics. Links are in the description where you can read it the easiest way possible. If you're listening on Spotify, shout out to you. Follow us over there. If you're listening on an Apple device, subscribe. It's free. And if leaving reviews is your thing, even if it isn't, leave us a five-star review and we'll read it on the show. We got two this week, one from Soccer Essential 13. This is a great podcast. I always love a good football podcast that has good insight and smart people speaking. It helps me relax, and it really is just a good way to spend the afternoon. You guys are really smart, and I love your podcast, and I have only just stumbled across it. Only small plug, I have my own podcast called The Golden Standard Podcast. So, yeah, this guy wants us to check that out. If you feel like you want to give this guy a shot, Golden Standard Podcast. Last review is from a guy called Luke Skylarker. All right. Hey, Star Wars, man. Is, is the force with him or not? That's the key thing. Great work, Five Star Podcast. This is the most entertaining football podcast by far and must listen for people of color tired of hearing the same old voices and perspectives talking about the game we love. Hashtag always football. Hashtag black excellent. Cool. <laughs> I like those kind of reviews, man. I like those kind of reviews. Um, by the way, if you haven't already, we have launched our Patreon page. Shout out to everyone that's followed. If you go on patreon.com slash talking tactics, uh, which is also in the description of the podcast, you can click that or tap that and it will take you to our Patreon page where you can look at the tiers that we have. There's a $1 one, a $3 one, and a $10 one. Um, if you pledge $3, you get Talking Tactics Extra, which is just kind of where we... After the podcast, we just kind of talk about whatever we want. Last week was pretty interesting. We talked about Brexit, about Neil Warnock, about separating art from the artist, I believe is one of the things we talked about. So yeah, what I'm going to do is right here, I'm going to put a, a snippet from this week's Talking Tactics Extra. So like, if you need the British accent, you can pull it out whenever you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what did he say? My name is Have Hope. And I believe that Jacqueline Mourinho <laughs> is the best manager in the world. <laughs> yeah, that 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 is that is a uh, talking taxes Esther. We hope you guys sign up and and join our Patreon page. We really appreciate it. Everybody who's backed us, it it really means a lot. 
just quickly before we get into this, um, is the apology video up for 16, 15 goals max? Yes, it is up. It okay. Is up. <laughs> <laughs> we will discuss Liverpool in a little bit, but uh, let's start with uh, the the match of the week, biggest game of the week, at least in a in an English context. Uh, Arsenal hosted Chelsea. Didn't go well for Chelsea, did it? You tell me. <laughs> I don't want to talk about this. You guys are like the the expert. No, no, you, you, you tell me. You tell me. <laughs> you tell me what will happen. What, where 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 is the Chelsea? Go on, Danny boy. You know what? There's so many problems at Chelsea that I I wouldn't even know where to start. To be honest, I mean, there's the fullback situation. There's the midfield situation. There's the attacking situation. There's the managerial situation and the the board situation. So it's like everything except goalkeeper problem. So Arsenal beat Chelsea 2-0. Goals from Alexander Lacazette and Lauren Koscielny. Noble things there. Arsenal played a diamond formation with Aaron Ramsey as the 10 and Lacazette and Oba up top. You guys going to give me credit for saying they should have done that last week or no? Okay. No. Nope. Um, (laughs) I want my credit. I've told you before, it's, it's, it's way too attacking and doesn't offer that much protection. If Chelsea were a side with a striker, difference might have happened. Now, you want to talk about fullback situation at Chelsea. The system that Sarri is attempting to implement at the at the current moment. Aspilicueta is not offensive enough and Alonso is just too slow. Alonso works if you want to make him a wing back and you have three center backs there for protection. That way the gaps he leaves when he leaves the left flank, somebody's there to kind of patrol that area. When he just leaves and he goes off on his little adventures and tries to play with Hazard. He's in striking areas in the box. Like, as soon as Chelsea lose possession, there's just a big gap <laughs> on the left, and you're asking, like, David Luiz to, like, patrol base half of the pitch by himself in a, in, in a defensive sense. So it just doesn't work in that way. Aspilicueta, to his eternal credit, one of the best defenders in the Premier League. He's amazing in that sense. Consistency personified 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 every game. But he doesn't really offer anything going forward in that way which is interesting because apparently like in his past life he was a he was a winger in spain doesn't seem like it anymore but uh, i think playing center back for two seasons kind of slowed down whatever development he might have been able to make as a, as a fullback in later career in his later career so those two players i feel like if you had more dynamic options because if you look at real madrid's fullbacks if you look at barcelona's fullbacks bayern munich's fullbacks if you look at man city they have dynamic football, like Benjamin Mendy. They have David Alaba. They have Jordi Alba. Just all these names of people that are quick, good on the ball, can make things happen in those wide spaces. And Chelsea just don't have that at the moment. If I could solve one thing at Chelsea, it would be go out and buy two new fullbacks of like world-class quality. And I really feel like that would help Chelsea's play immensely. Let me come in. Let me, let me, let me, let me write in. Again, it's, it's, it's a whole thing of meritocracy and... Italian stubbornness because when you look at that Chelsea team and specifically you look at Alonso he does not play well enough to hold down a place in the team and there is nothing that he's doing for him to maintain a place in the team so he's only in the team because Sarri has what is known as as this Italian stubbornness where oh no he has to play he must play he must still be within the team you know because he's in my starting lineup blah 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 so even if you got two new fullbacks, that's not gonna that will help, but it will not dynamically change the fortunes because Giro is a tier three striker at best. Morata is a brick. And you know, Hazard is having to do way too much of the heavy lifting for the team. Do you and ever even... notice like when when Chelsea have the ball, 
Mm. And obviously, Sari tells his his wide men to to be wide. So you'll see Hazard when he's playing on the left, he's super wide. His boots are basically on the touchline there. And Willian or Pedro, kind of the same thing on the other side at times. You see Alonso come from left back, and he makes like not an overlapping run, but an underlapping run. Mm. That annoys me so much because that's where I would want Hazard to be. Alonso's supposed to be making overlapping runs, at least in my opinion, to oh, free yeah. up to free up space for Hazard, or just don't run at all and let Hazard just do his thing by himself and don't bring commotion. But that's what he does. Like every time I see Alonso make that underlap, it just it, it annoys the hell out of me. No, 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 because it's as you said, it, it restricts the space to which Hazard can operate in. And I think for Alonso is you're not doing anything well. Fair enough. As <laughs> as Piliqueta doesn't offer you the offensive nature of the wing back, but my gosh, he's he's the best defender at Chelsea. So defensively, he's on point. Alonso, defensively, you're not on point. You don't have any strong positional sense. You're very weak in the tackle and you don't offer anything going forward because you don't get to the byline. You don't stretch the, the um, play. Can I, can I, can I interject but, here? Can, no, I'd, I'd really like to interject in this. Uh, first things first, the idea that Sari is playing Alonso of some sort of misguided sense of meritocracy or false meritocracy is bunk. Alonso is in the team because Alonso is one of the major attacking threats to that Chelsea side. But he's playing like crap. <laughs> what do you mean? That's, 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 he's playing like crap. That's fine. That's fine. You can you can say that he's he's in bad form right now, but to say that this is sorry being stubborn, I don't think that's quite right. Because it is. That, no, 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 it no, is. I, I don't, it is. I don't think that's. I don't think that's quite right. I think he's keeping him in the side because basically Alonso's runs, those late arrivals he's making to the box, are integral to the way Chelsea attack. What? Um, I think they are. Quickly, do you think Alonso's playing well? No, I don't. And and so Dan, you've spoken to is when he's making these runs, it can be quite annoying. But the 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 counter argument is if he's consistently making those runs, it's because he's been told to do it. And again, it's it's clearly part of the game plan. So so he's okay, not, so Emerson he's not repeatedly making runs. these runs. He's not repeatedly making those runs just for the hell of it. Clearly, is part of a system. And I think what you've both touched on is the main sticking point here, which is basically when Alonso, when those runs aren't coming off for Alonso, when those late arrivals and those and those goals aren't coming off, he doesn't do much else. I think we're, we've sort of mistaken what Alonso does well for what he does badly. So Alonso is very good at making those uh, late runs and arrivals into the edge of the box and constantly popping up and giving shots. But those shots right now aren't going in. And the problem with Alonso is when those aren't going in, he doesn't offer much defensively and he leaves massive gaps. That is not the same as Alonso making those runs is really, really annoying. It's Alonso's doing the same thing he always used to do in like the Conte season in last season. Oh, it's just that it's not coming off in the same way it used to, possibly because he's old, possibly because other teams have figured it out. But to say Alonso's bad because of the things he's the things he's always been doing that are good, rather than saying Alonso is bad because of other things, is a little bit do you see what I'm trying to say here? No, I see what you're trying to say, but I can give you an example that kind of counters this, okay? The game against Newcastle, Chelsea were winning 2-1, and it was injury time. Alonso, who's on the left, and Chelsea are attacking the left, so he's on the same side as Sarri. He makes a run in extra time. He goes from left back, and he basically ends up as being a left striker. For whatever reason, I guess he felt like there's space there, I can attack the space, whatever. He runs into the space. And Sari screams at him so loud you could hear it over the television. David Luiz is yelling at him, get back, like, or just pointing. I'm assuming he was saying something close to get back to your position. 
the runs he makes, maybe he's being told to do it. Fair enough. And if that's what he's being told to do, then the problem is more with Sari than it is with Alonzo. Fair point there. But the timing of which he does it and when he does it, it's quite annoying. And it shows his lack of game management. awareness. I'd say that's game management less rather than awareness. But I'm, I'm, I can see I'm on board with that. And I'm on board with with the, the runs he's making aren't as effective as what they used to be. Because for the last two seasons, he's played as a left wing back, not a left back. Yes. So so when you're playing three at the back or five at the back, however Conte would have described it, Alonso has more freedom because there's three defenders back there, as I mentioned earlier. You had Aspilicueta, David Luiz in the middle, and then Cahill. But now with there's only two center backs and you just go make this illogical run, you're leaving way too much space that's been exploited time in, time out this season. And then as both of you point out, especially have hope, if you're not doing anything in the positions that you're in, then it's up to the then it's up to the manager or the coach. I guess Chelsea have a head coach, not necessarily a manager, to be like, "Hey, Emerson's here on the bench. Why don't I give him a chance? Because he can do what Alonso's doing." Well, that's the fullback problem. Let's talk about the midfield problem. I'm, I'm actually hand this one out to Hope because I feel like I've spoken a lot in the opening stages here. Especially, I was watching um, the BT Sports guys. No, I mean, normally I don't really watch what they say because I don't really think that's what they say on points. But this time, rarely there was actually more on on, on point. Kante is the best DM in the world. Um, Sari's arguments for bringing in George Jorginho doesn't hold any, any weight. You can't tell me, oh, because you can pass to a guy in the same shirt as you two or three yards away, you're doing a great job. I hear on, from Chelsea fans, oh my gosh, Jorginho, he's really important. He's very critical to the system. He's very important. I'm like, no, that's a lot of crap. You're telling me that all because you can pass to a guy four or five yards away from you, you're doing a great job. Not once have you provided an assist. How many times have you tried that ball over the top and it's failed? David Luiz from defense has done that ball over the top far more efficiently than you. And defensively, you're crap. You know, you're literally opposing teams pinpoints you because they know that you, you can't run and you don't have the intelligence to anticipate the play like Kante does. So that's an issue. I think with Kante is that, as we said before, Kante is very versatile and he was Chelsea's best player against Arsenal. But don't be fooled by someone's versatility when you can play them in their strongest position. And their strongest position puts, means that they're one of the best players in the world based on that position. So the issue is Sari has a system that he feels Jorginho plays well. But the issue about this is that your system just isn't really being as effective as it should be. So the argument for Jorginho being the over cancer doesn't hold sway. And I think as we spoke to before already, the number eight role, whether it be Kovacic, whether it be Barkley, they're, they're not offering enough. And the fact that Kante is the highest scorer within the midfield is, is laughable. So, yeah, I still think for, I mean, sorry, you need far more fluidity in that midfield because it's too rigid, it's too stubborn. You're just doing the same thing again and again and again. And because you're so rigid, these teams, eighth and down, are, will begin to figure, figure, figure you out very easily. So, did you guys listen by chance to Mourinho's comments when he was doing? Uh, studio analysis for being sport. Oh my god, best interview of all time! Best interview <laughs> of all time. Um, these are comments from at Chelsea Transfer on Twitter. He just kind of took um, something that speaks to the point you made. He says, If you look, oh no, I'm not saying Chelsea, this is a quote from Mourinho. I'm not saying Chelsea is an easy team to play against, but it is an easy team to analyze. You analyze Chelsea quite easily, you know their principles. If you stop Jorginho, you create difficulties for Chelsea to build in the first phase. Then if you close their left side with Alonso and Luis, and you give the ball to the right side, 
it's quite difficult for Chelsea. So your point about like Jorginho closing him out is easy. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I just think there was the nil-nil against Everton. And that was the first time that I think we saw someone attempt to man-mark Jorginho. And I, I believe we pointed it out then. It might have been Carl. It might have been me. I don't remember who. But we pointed it out that like whatever Silva did after the international break, I believe it was, and he had time to analyze how Chelsea played. He pinpointed Jorginho as if we stop Jorginho, we stop Chelsea. And I don't think Sarri since has really come up with a counter to that. And that's the big problem. I mean, we'll, we'll get into like the Bielsa Spygate thing later. But the way that these teams actually break down the, their opposition and key in on if you stop this player, X will happen. Then we do ABC off of that. I don't think Sarri's quite yet adjusted to... They've stopped Jorginho. Now where do I go? And then you bring up the number eight conundrum where Kovacic hasn't scored a goal in, I think, two years in league Whoa. play. Yeah, like it's been way too long for Kovacic without a goal. Conte, God bless him. He's versatile, as you say. I think he has three goals this season or four goals perhaps, but he's not a threat in that sense. So you pair stopping Jorginho with like two good players, great players, especially in their in their best positions. But you would kind of say Kovacic should be playing where Kante is and more of just uh, keeping the game, mm, oil-breaking totally. play, not necessarily trying to attack. Like, the balance in Chelsea's midfield is off, and I would say mm. largely due to the Ruben Loftus-Cheek injury because he's the one player in Chelsea's squad who I feel like you can give him the ball, he'll drive forward, take advantage of the space created by the false nine or whatever. Um, but that back injury has really pegged him back, I think. And it's been detrimental to what Chelsea can achieve as a collective, I think. I think we've said everything there, unless Carl, unless you have a point about Chelsea's midfield and what you see kind of with the Conte Jorginho argument that goes on. I, I just want to raise an interesting point. Uh, my friend Michael Hardy raised basically about how at the start of the season, Jorginho looked great, largely because he didn't go to the World Cup. Interesting. So he's, he's, you know, he's at the base of this midfield. He's sticking on really nice. This Chelsea system is purring. He's like, yep, cool, great. And then more or less around the Everton game and the international break, everyone got a nap. Everyone got to, to calm down, chill out a little bit and get over that little World Cup hangover. And then Jorginho just looks slow or slower than anticipated. And uh, since then, he's he's basically struggled. And, and the thing about Jorginho is he doesn't seem to be the type of player to to grab a game by the scruff of the neck. If, if Chelsea are playing well, Jorginho plays well. If Chelsea is struggling a little bit, he doesn't seem to be able to increase his quality or, or playing ability to, to take Chelsea to that next step. And look, this is all a work in progress. You know, N'Golo Kante is, is having his highest scoring season so far. And it's clear that Sarri wants to convert him into this, to a very similar playing role than he had at Alan when he was at Napoli. So the idea is for Kante to win the ball higher up the pitch and then to redistribute that ball very, very quickly. But you've seen it two or three times with just Chelsea side where, you know, the ball goes in and there's no one making the drive into the box other than Kante. And Kante, while an exceptionally intelligent footballer who will eventually get to that point, isn't at that point to put away 10 to 15 goals a season, which is what they need. Kovacic, I, I don't know what that guy offers. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't watch Chelsea. I don't watch Chelsea with the same eye that everyone else does. But you know, in, to my head, if you've got N'Golo Kante and you've got a guy, to, if you've got a guy, if you've got N'Golo Kante to win the ball back and someone else to pass the ball, why do you need someone else to do something else? Yeah, a bit, yeah, uh, a bit similar to last season when we had back when Bakayoko was very much. Wait, what do I do? Mm. I think Kovacic is having a similar. Wait, what? And that, that's Chelsea. Just just quickly, I, I know we spent a lot of time on Chelsea, but I figured since uh, the questions we got, 
people kind of wanted to hear that. So uh, Live Love Drake, will Sarri's displacement of Conte and Hazard ever see out Chelsea's full potential this season? Um, No, because I – yes, because <laughs> – sorry, it's, it's, it's an oddly phrased question because I think Chelsea are on their potential. I think they're ahead of schedule even. I, I didn't have Chelsea in my top four predictions for this season. Um, so for them to be in top four with a manager who had basically no preseason and you're trying to play a, a like refined system of football, I think they're doing fine. Yeah, it's not great. They're definitely on their plan B. Eden Hazard, as the tip of the spear, is, does not work. I'd like to see something change there. Hopefully, Higuain will, will, will bring about something else. But a lot of Chelsea fans have been spoiled. And I really want to key into this, basically. You were way ahead of schedule with that uh, Antonio Conte Premier League title. That's completely warped your perception of what is possible in one season. So Conte went, oh, wait, this isn't working. Let me change the 3-4-1-2. And then you win 13 games in a row and you win the Premier League. That's not That, that was some football manager type nonsense. And yeah, it was great. It was great to see a football manager tweak something on the fly mid-season and then suddenly turn Victor Moses and Marcus Alonso into competent wingbacks. But that does not happen often. Mm. And that Premier League title you won, you, I say you, Chelsea won, is not... <laughs> Is, is not something easily replicable. So Sari having teething problems with his system, well, fine. Well, like, they're fourth. It's not a great disaster right now. Arsenal are a bit away away from Chelsea and Manchester United. Have, you know, they're catching up, but you never know what happens when they have their first loss on the Ole Gunnar. It's not great, but it's not terrible right now. And I think any problems with Chelsea can be fixed with two, maybe four smart signings. I mean, Christian Pulisic coming in fixes one of the problems. If they hold on to Kam- Hudson Adotti, which I don't think they will, that can solve another problem. And then you see what happens next. And last thing on Chelsea before we move to Arsenal, I suppose. Was Sarri right to criticize his players publicly? So I don't know if you guys have watched Sarri's no, comments in, no. in, in the post-match press conference. I'll read them quickly. And this is from football.london. So uh, I have to say I'm extremely angry, very angry indeed, Sorry, said in, in Italian and through an interpreter. This defeat was due to our mentality more than anything else, our mental approach. We played against a team which mentally was far more determined than we were. And this is something that I can't accept. We had a similar issue in the league game against Tottenham. We spoke a great deal about that loss and our approach at the time. And I spoke to the players and I thought we'd overcome this issue. But it appears we still have this issue and we still seem to lack sufficient motivation and being mentally solid and our determination. So I'm not happy. I'm really not happy. I prefer to come into the press conference, be in the changing room and speak to the players and speak to you now to talk about the tactics, about why we lost from the tactical point of view. But the fact of the matter is it appears this group of players are extremely difficult to motivate. And what, what was very interesting about this is sorry at the beginning, he spoke in English. He says, I want to do this in Italian because I have a message to my players and I want to make sure I, I say it exactly how I mean it. This was a direct pointed message to the Chelsea players that you guys aren't trying hard enough. It's a dangerous move considering what's happened with the last two Chelsea managers. Mourinho, I think many people agree there was a mutiny against Mourinho and Conte. I'm sure some players liked them, but when he left, I mean... We saw what William did on Snapchat or Instagram where he just covered him up <laughs> with trophies um, after they won the FA Cup. So there was definitely dissent in the dressing room with Conte. So for Sarri, who hasn't won the league, as Conte did in his first season, as Mourinho did 
um, in his second season and then leading into that third season where he eventually uh, was sacked. Sorry's doing this really without a leg to stand on necessarily. Like, I won a trophy. Um, I've won something with these players. He's coming out. He's coming out and directly kind of questioning their professionalism. And I guess I'll throw it to the floor. I guess we can start with Double H first. Like, do you think this is going to backfire on him, or do you think this could actually be what the what the dressing room needs to play better? It has a danger of backfiring because he's wrong, and that is the key thing. Because when you're a player, you know when, yeah, man, this tactically it's 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 not working here. So when this guy goes out and says that. It has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with the tactics. It's because the players are not trying hard enough. And if you're a player and you're like, no, we feel that we're trying hard enough. And I watched the, the game and there was no, there was nothing there of like a lack of effort or a lack of fight. Tactically, Chelsea were, not, were just not on point. So Hazard will say, I, will, I was playing in a position where it was hard for me to make anything happen. Alonso will say, look, I'm a brick. I can't help it. You know, <laughs> um, Kante will say, dude, I'm out of position. You know, so... Many guys will say, like, look, tactically, Arsenal were just better placed to exploit us. And tactically, we're not better placed to exploit them. So I, I don't know whether it will be a case of whether there will be another mutiny or something. But for Sari, I think that see, he's, he's very desperate to win a trophy. That's why he's playing Hazard in all of the games. That's why he's taking every competition seriously. Because I think that has been hanging over his head of like, hey, who's this guy who came over from, from Napoli who didn't win any trophy? Why should he come to Chelsea right now and be winning no trophies or anything. So he's desperate to win one. And you can see he's definitely under pressure with the losses that, that are mounting up, especially in this game where people thought, wait, no, Chelsea should win based on how bad Arsenal's defense are. But to come out and say that, when no, you're wrong and you completely don't take any blame whatsoever and you put all the blame on the players, nah, I mean, it's, 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 it's a bad move to make, man. To be fair to him, he did take some accountability in other comments. I don't have them directly here, but I do remember him saying something along the lines of like, it's on, some of it's on me as well. Um, but Carl, you, you mentioned something last week, and I wanted to bring this up this week. You said like, um, you've been in more dressing rooms than me and Hapul, and which is probably true. Um, so I'm curious, well, if your coach came out publicly and said, my players aren't trying hard enough, and I can't even talk about this tactically because my players just weren't trying. How how do you think a dressing room would respond first in private and then next on the pitch? So that sort of conversation would happen quite often privately, but it's is the it's the public nature of it and the public nature of doing it in Italian, which is curious. I'd, I'd say maybe you know one third would react positively to it, one third would react negatively to it, and a third wouldn't carry the way. It's interesting to see you know based on the personnel Chelsea have. I think it's particularly interesting right now that the spine of Chelsea that's been long regarded, you know, Petr Cech, John Terry and whatnot, that's gone away and the new spine hasn't quite coalesced. Like Gary Cahill is your club captain and is nowhere near your squad. Your midfield is... Thank God. Yeah. Your mid, you know, you've got a brand new goalkeeper. Your midfield, the most regular star in that midfield is N'Golo Kanto, who's only been there for three seasons. Uh, and then up top, you've got Eden Hazard, who possibly wants to leave. You've got Willian, who hangs out with David Luiz a lot. In terms of who are the elder statesmen to 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 bring this Chelsea side together to coalesce and, and go forward, you're, you're basically talking about David Luiz and Willian. Willian isn't a particular... Well, as far as I know, Willian isn't a particular uh, leader of men. Um, so it's David Luiz and then who? Sorry's comments, if he made those behind 
closed doors. I'd say most of the Chelsea side would agree with that. Like, yeah, we had like one shot on target and we could do better. We need to figure out what's going on with our attack. The, the, the fact that he's made it public has turned the conversation not to, oh, wow, Chelsea are in the middle of the top four race, but it's turned into what we're having now, where we've spent more or less half an hour talking about Chelsea. Um, <laughs> which is, this is this is always the risk about when, when a manager does this. When a manager publicly goes, it wasn't a text, it was, it was my players. The conversation goes, which players will be leaving? Which players will be brought in? Which What has to change? And there's often this talk about change when when you have a when you have a big loss or you go through a series of losses and the big you know six million dollar question for Chelsea is when you have a system manager when you have a manager like sorry a manager who ha who plays one very pronounced style of football a manager who isn't likely to change his formation mid-season like Conte did so you know Conte did this in the season Chelsea won the league he basically went my tactics were fine but we got we our effort was wrong after Arsenal beat them and then he changed to the 3-4-3 three, three, and then they went 13 games in a row and they won Sorry's not going to do that Sorry doesn't strike me as someone who's going to go next week and play three at the back so you've basically asked your, your manager's basically gone something has to change and he's more or less gone and it's not going to be me hmm. which is it's ballsy it's ballsy from a manager six seven months into his tenure at Chelsea Football Club a club known for getting rid of managers yeah all right so <laughs> we haven't talked too much about about the winners um Arsenal so how do we feel like this affects Arsenal and I guess I, I kind of wanted to reference the Ozo situation just quickly because he didn't play and they were okay Emery played Lacazette and Aubameyang together something I think this podcast has advocated for a year almost since since Aubameyang arrived he did it. They won. Lacazette scored a brilliant goal. Koscielny didn't look old. Credit to Lauren Koscielny. I'm sorry to, to talk into you. <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. Basically, basically after the Atletico Madrid injury where he's ripped his Achilles, I sincerely thought that was the end of his career. Yeah. I think I think if you go back, I, I said he should probably retire because that, that's the end of him. So for him to, to, to get back in less than a year and to and to score against Chelsea yeah like that should be applauded I, I don't want to understate how big a deal that is and also the fact that he has more or less been rushed back because Arsenal have all these defensive injuries but he's like all right I'll keep playing football on one Ach Achilles 10 so well done to him yes the Ozo thing's particularly interesting because it's very clear Emery doesn't doesn't like this he doesn't like the fact that he's got a large portion of Arsenal's funds locked up in a player who doesn't play the type of football he wants to play. And now the guy, you know, Aaron Ramsey, who was one of the standout players for Arsenal, it's an open secret that he's going to Juventus next season. You look at you look at that Arsenal performance, you look at what Aaron Ramsey did behind Auburn and Lacazette, and you're going, oh, mate, why? Why did they give Ozil the contract extension and not wait for Emery to come in and then make his own decision? Uh, the Arsenal thing is... Sad. It was a pyrrhic victory because, yeah, you won, but also Bellerin went off injured with what seemed to be a very serious knee injury. I think that possibly could be the last we'll see of Hector Bellerin in the Premier League this season. Ramsey was a standout player, but be gone either at the end of this month or in the summer. And then on top of that, you've got um, Sven Misselat has just been announced that he's leaving Arsenal after only 14 months as their head of recruitment. So, yeah, you've won the battle, but you've very possibly lost the war on multiple fronts there. The mood among Arsenal fans ahead of Friday's game against Manchester United is it's not as pleasant as you'd expect. Ozil really isn't the kind of player that everyone touts him to be. Now, 2010, when he came onto the scene with that amazing gentleman team, yes, best 
perhaps the best playmaker in the world. As of right now, he's just not, not that dude. So whosoever wise idea it was to give him a contract extension, the guy needs to be slapped in the face. Because you slap him Wenger like that, really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah so, so so my thing is that like for Emery coming in is like, you know, I think as 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 Carl said, you have to allow the new manager full of leeway to form his own team. So you can't be making these huge, massive decisions when you knew Wenger was on his way out. When a, you're bringing a, a new manager, chill on massive contract extensions, chill. Let this new guy come in, assess everyone and say, nah, I don't need that guy. I don't, I don't need that guy. I need this guy. I need this guy. I don't need, I don't need that guy. Because now for Ozil isn't going to just go up and leave because I, look, I'm earning great money each week. If you're not going to play me, fine. But I'm not going to. I'm not going to be like the nobleman. Say, you know what? I'm going to leave because I feel I should. No, I love London. I enjoy London. I do like the club. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to keep ending this cake. So, oh yeah, it seems like this is basically this is Ozil's last contract. Realistically, mm. if Ozil gets another contract, he will be a massive pay reduction, and it will most likely take him back to Werder Bremen. If he's a romanticist, as I said last week, the big problem is no one can afford him. No. no one that needs Meza Urza will be able to afford those wages. The only team in Germany that can afford those wages is Bayern Munich. After the national team debacle, Munich right. aren't going to want Ozil. Nor do Munich need him. There is no team in Serie A that can afford him. Not even Juventus, really. Uh, he can't go to Barcelona. And then Atletico need someone who can run, and Ozil doesn't run. So this is it. Arsenal's hands are essentially tied. And it has cost not only... Well, it has partially cost Sven Ozil at his job because Sven is going, how much money do I have? I don't have much money because a lot of it's tied up in Ozil. It's completely hamstrung Emery's January plans because he needs another centre-back. He's not going to get another centre-back. So now they're going to have to rely on any loans. That's possibly doomsday talk. They could very conceivably beat Manchester United on Friday and have a very good FA Cup run and then go on to to, to finish in the top four. As long as you've got two great strikers like Oba and Lacazette, you are going to win more games than you lose. More to the top four race, Manchester United beat Brighton to one, which kind of tightened things, especially considering the result that happened later on in the day where Arsenal won. Carl, I guess I'll, I'll throw this one to you and then have hope you can have your say on Arsenal and Manchester United. Do you are you confident now? You guys have won six Premier League games in a row. Yep. Uh, so uh, how you feeling? How you feeling? Okay, I would have been a, I'd have been a lot more confident had uh, Tottenham not won in the last minute against Fulham. <laughs> then we would have had a real. Real top four race. It's working, you know. I, I, you know, Chelsea went 13 games unbeaten on the goose hitting after the Portuguese man was removed, and United are now seven. So, congratulations to Paul Pogba, who apparently is about to be a dad. Mm. If he's if his celebration was an indication, there's a baby on the way, which is quite nice. Marcus Rashford's goal production, both in goals and assists, is off the chart right now. He's, I think he's got more in this little stint on on Igona than he's got. Like this season and last season combined on the Mourinho, which again speaks to what can happen when you've got aces in places, which is a, a certain management philosophy. Uh, I think it's particularly interesting how Rashford and Lukaku have both mentioned Ole Gunnar's impact in terms of their forward play. So Lukaku's gone, yep, Solskjaer's told me to do X, Y, Z, and Rashford's made comments to, to the same. And, you know, the, the stuff they're saying Solskjaer's done, it's very basic stuff. So, you know, Lukaku's been told not to play with his back towards goal anymore, to make more runs, to take the ball while moving forward. And then Timoya hit it first time. Rashford's been told to, to not snatch at his opportunities. And it's great to see what treating footballers like they're human beings and adults 
and can do. When you consider what the Portuguese manager was saying about Jesse Lingard, Luke Shaw, Anthony Martial, Marcus Rashford and how they lacked maturity and how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer just went, Marcus Rashford could be as good as Harry Kane, could be England's number nine for a generation. And then Rashford's like, yeah, all right, let me start scoring. Did you listen to Jose Mourinho on B-In? Yeah, it can be easily debunked and it was incredibly factually incorrect. It was a very disingenuous uh, rant from a bitter, pathetic old man. When he talked about (laughs) Drogba... Drogba, when you criticized him, he played even better because, like, you kind of questioned but he is, manhood but... in a way. And then Drogba would rise up to that level of criticism. And then he said, when he was recently, and that I guess that was his way of saying Manchester United because I think he couldn't really talk about it. He said he considered the team like a family. So then, when he criticized someone publicly, privately they came into his office and said, "Can you not criticize me in public?" And he says, "Why?" And the player says, "Because." you're diminishing me in front of my teammates. And he didn't like that. So you can almost see like Mourinho was caught with like, he he wants, as I guess this is known, but like the old school, born in 1970s type like men, you know what I mean? And he doesn't yeah. know so how to, he, he can't deal man. with like the new type of footballer. I don't think. Kids, yes, kids. he cannot. He, Nets, Nets really looking to, so the players that like Mourinho really, really like him. You, we're talking Petr Cech, John Terry, Frank Lampard, Ibrahimovic, Iron Robin, those guys, when you talk about why Mourinho, they will go at length at why Mourinho is fantastic. The players that don't like him, they don't even talk about him. They don't want to mention his name. Such is the Snakes. level of... No, no, it's, it's really interesting because it's really interesting because quite a few football players, if they don't like a manager, they'll say, oh, yeah, well, I went there and it didn't work out because that person didn't play me or uh, I think that person wanted this sort of thing and I wasn't that sort of player. That's generally the the polite way to talk about why it didn't work out when you move somewhere. For the player to not even mention them entirely is really interesting. It's like a complete, I would much rather not like to bring up my time on that person because I absolutely hate that person. Now, I want to just like have a quick look at the players that love him. So you've got Petr Cech, Czech Republic. Like this is this is a guy who grew up with next to nothing. Travel around the world for football, has learned multiple languages because he understands the information is power, learned Spanish because a lot of Champions League games took him to Valencia and Real Madrid and went, I need to learn Spanish. This is a guy who, from the age of eight, understood personal responsibility and had to do that. You look at John Terry. John Terry was one of the last academy prospects at Chelsea when Chelsea was like old school Chelsea. John Terry was, if you read Dennis Wise's autobiography, there's an extract where Dennis Wise says, he made John Terry sit on the outside toilet to warm it up for him before Dennis Wise did a poo. John Terry had a foot in his neck from the age of like eight. John Terry grew up with like next to nothing. Iron Robin. Though, so. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> John John Terry John Terry grew up in incredibly terrible circumstances and is reflected in what he's like as an adult. So there's that. Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard spends his entire the majority of his footballing career being told he only had a career because of who his dad was, being called Fat Frank. And then more or less gets called by me and going, I'm going to turn you into something amazing. And you're going to channel all of this ill feeling and, and you're going to be fantastic. Iron Robin. Iron Robin grew up, again, next to nothing. Relative, not a relatively uh, charmed childhood and lifestyle. Uh, he, you know, the, ver- the fact that he cuts inside on his left and hits on his left and the fact that he practices that with ridiculous dedication suggests to me that he's a man who believes that repetition and suffering is key to progress. Didier Drogba grew up in 
Ivory Coast, not a particularly moneyed area of Ivory Coast at the same time. The guy suffered quite, you know, innumerable hardships as well. He was more or less, he was sent away by his parents at the age of five to go live with his uncle in France after economic crisis in Ivory Coast. Didier Drogba went through shit as well. So the players that love Mourinho, things that need to stick out, they all grew up in relative poverty. They all grew up and more or less didn't do the academy system where they had things from the age of eight and nine. And basically all of them have moments where like, yeah, it was a choice between getting some food or traveling all the way up to football training. They all have these stories. That doesn't really work anymore, right? That That's not really a thing that happens in the, in the newly moneyed academy systems of England, France, the Netherlands, and Germany and whatnot. Something that's particularly interesting is if you look at the, the nationalities Mourinho likes to buy from, he's bought 26 Portuguese players in his uh, time in management, and the next highest is 17 uh, Brazil. Mourinho needs a certain type of player because Mourinho's what Mourinho believes is man management only really works from from players from certain backgrounds and it it it's not gonna work when you do it to a kid who grew up in 1995 and he's like why are you talking about the cold war for he is ineffectual he's sad he's bitter and he doesn't understand also crucially he doesn't understand what makes him good anymore and this is one thing I really want that has been like largely glossed over in Mourinho first stage Mourinho Chelsea first era that side was incredibly fit. And very recently, like the last couple of Mourinho teams, been soft. Loads of soft tissue injuries. Loads of long-term, loads of hamstring injuries. Loads of uh, ankle, leg injuries. Uh, Phil Jones got shin splints, which is a ridiculous injury for a professional footballer to have. You can stop having shin splints by simply wearing running shoes that fit. Mourinho stopped training his players in the way he used to when he was an up-and-gummer. And Bourne and S became, now I'm the man. It doesn't matter if I make you guys run because I can just like horse whisper you and make you play well while you're in the game. And we're like, no, like these guys don't run anymore. And one thing that's really interesting is how Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has managed to make United start running more. I know a very basic thing. If a guy who's been brought over from Norwegian league has gone, wait, all you guys are unfit, where Mourinho, the multiple Champions League winner, can't do that anymore, then he'd be lucky to get that Benfica job, quite frankly. But this is this is <laughs> this is far too Chelsea oriented right now. So we need to we need to go through other things. With yeah. Okay. Them. So uh, no, 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 no. I need to speak on Mourinho. I was okay. Mourinho. All right. Yeah. I just think that there's a narrative that needs to be stopped, and, and there's a false narrative of Mourinho, and then the false narrative is this idea that he's finished, he's too old, blah blah blah. blah. Are we now going to say that Ancelotti is finished because Ancelotti at Bayern didn't walk, and the players pretty much got him sacked? Because Robin, Ribery, and all those guys said, nah, 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 we don't agree with this guy's trading methods and, and everything. It's, it's, not, it's not working. And once he left, and once Heinkes came in, instantly they started playing well and they almost or should have pretty much beaten Real Madrid. So for me, as I've always said, it was always just a bad fit. Now, if something is a bad fit, does it mean that a manager is finished? No, it's simply just a bad fit. As in Mourinho, he needs certain kinds of players for him to succeed. The fact that he won any trophies with that Man United team is a miracle in, in and of itself. So I think for, like, you look at the way this Inter Milan team is built, like Miranda, Skriniar, the kind of more tougher, robust, physical guys, and Icardi as well. With one or two players, that's a team that Mourinho can definitely succeed in. But when I looked at United, the kinds of players they are, their characteristics, their mannerisms, and the way they are, it just was not. It just was not going to happen. And I said this many times. It just was never going to happen. So to now say that Mourinho is this old bitter man, he's he's lost and everything. Where 
no, it was just a bad fit. <laughs> you know, it was really just, and everyone knew it was a, a, a bad fit. Very few managers can be successful in any team with any sorts of players, very few. So that's, it's just an unrealistic thing. So I think what Mourinho was trying to say is, my record still speaks for itself. You can't pretty much just get me out of the paint based off what was just a bad situation that I tried to make as good as I could, but it was just a bad situation where I ultimately just couldn't handle that because I just was not the right man for those group of players. Um, so Liverpool won, Man City won. Anybody willing to change? Or did, yo, have, have we given pronouncements on who we think is going to win the Premier League at this point? I've always said Man City. Uh, I, was, I was also Man City because they have a bigger right, so so, so we're all Man and... City. Is anybody willing to say that Liverpool's going to win this thing? Nah. By all metrics, Liverpool should. They've got a four-point lead. They've finally reached 60 points. Any team that's won, uh, reached 60 points at this point in the season has won the Premier League. So it's Manchester City from last season. And then um, the original Mourinho side of uh 0405 um so by every conceivable metric Liverpool should stay the course um there's no reason why they will lose those big games they've got a 10 day gap between their neck between now and their next game which hopefully should cover up any potential injuries they've got um so James Milner's red card is interesting considering problems at the back so they should but you can't count out Pep Guardiola who is regarded by many to be the best manager in world football and they and then City just have greatest strength and depth mm. uh, un- unless something happens to Fernandinho again which I don't think will happen they, they they will end up catching up the interesting thing is I don't see many games where either team would drop points so Liverpool should be better than every other team in, in the top six there um, and, and City as well so unless, unless something happens in one of those games against United or in one of those games against Spurs Every, those both those sides should should win and or draw and, and and the gap will remain four points. What what we should be talking about is basically where both of these sides sit in the pantheon of of great Premier League seat teams because come the end of the season both those sides are going to have ninety plus maybe even ninety two plus points in the Premier League table. So they they both may be historically good Premier League sides. Neither have been invincible though. So. Only one can win as Jay Dillo once made a song about. Indeed. Um, no no change from you. Still Man City. No, no, no. So still Man City and um, Arsenal are still invincible. So for what it's worth. And just for the podcast's sake, uh, can we get just a little apology to Mo Salah for the 15 goals max thing? Um, look. You can say no. You can say no. You you are not a parrot. Like... Uh, no, okay, okay, okay. Look, I, I, I somewhat apologize for saying you'd score 15 goals max. But last I checked, I didn't know that penalties counted as goals. So there you go. <laughs> Stupid. Uh, okay. Uh, what do you mean Tano, penalty? You didn't know penalties counted. What? 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 <laughs> it's just nonsense. It's nonsense. Just let it go. Um, <laughs> uh, last game for the top six. Tottenham with virtually the last touch of the game beat Fulham. I was really hoping that you know they'd drop points, but they didn't. But again, you mentioned like a Furic victory. Um, Tottenham man, Deli Ali seems to be gone with his hamstring. Who knows how long that's going to be? They already have Suzuka out. They have Kane out. Sun's at the playing with South. I was gonna say South Africa, playing with South Whoa. Korea. So, do you guys think Tottenham can hold on to a top four spot, or do you think these injuries are just gonna be too much to overcome? Now they've won. I think they're gonna have a big sigh of relief. The fixture list is quite gentle. Their next three, I think, their biggest game now between now and February is their second leg against. Chelsea in in the Carabao Cup. We don't know about Deli Ali's injury yet. If he's got a hamstring, that could be between three to six weeks, possibly more. And that is worrying. 
uh, I keep trying to, you know, I'll keep, you know, getting a pen and paper out going, how is, what's the Spurs 11 going to look like? And it's not looking great. And uh, yeah, Fernando Lorente is not it. He's a brick. He's a brick. Oh, he's, he's old. He's no, he's an a old brick. I feel mean calling someone a brick when they're just old. No, 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 no. And by, by the way, Conte tried to buy this guy, Antonio Conte, tried to buy this guy like five times. Are you serious? <laughs> Every transfer window, I want Lorente. I want Lorente. I'm kind of happy we got Giroud at the end of the day. I need to stop saying we. Chelsea got Giroud, so that was kind of a, a good thing. But I can't believe he just, yo, let, let's buy Lorente. Let's buy Lorente. Like, no, man, chill. Anyway, um, all right. So last 10, 15 minutes here. Carl, you wanted to talk about Derby County Spygate. I'm sure I half hope you have some interesting opinions about this. Mm. Um, just, yeah, just Carl, you you take it. The Spygate incident that's going on with the uh, yeah. Apologies, apologies to everyone listening about how much we spent about talking about Chelsea. So we're going to talk about another person linked to Chelsea, Frank Lampard. <laughs> uh, so in you know after Christmas, Leeds played Derby. Leeds won. I want to say two nil, but the notable incident happened before the game where Derby County noticed a gentleman with a pair of binoculars peering into their training round. Uh, they, they, I, I want to say, I don't want to say captured, but they, they basically found him and basically went, what are you doing? And it turned out said man was represented Leeds United. Uh, and he didn't uh, have like a cyanide capsule. He was supposed uh, to. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and, it, and it became very clear that, well, Frank Lampard basically went, Bielsa had been spying on me. Now, you know, I've, I've got football friends who are fans of teams in the football league and they say Derby County's training ground is very easy to look into. There are no trees and whatnot. So it was a, whatever. Uh, and then it, it was announced on Wednesday that at five o'clock, Marcello Bielsa was going to make a, a press statement there was a lot of conversation that he was going to step down because this is, you know, Bielsa is, they call him El Loco for a reason. This this is a man who left Lazio after two days. He lost his 77 days at another club. When Bielsa doesn't want to do something, he doesn't do it and he quits. He's got a very pronounced personality, so he didn't know what to expect. And what followed was a 66-minute press conference where Marcello Bielsa basically went, not only do I have information about Derby County, I have information on everyone everyone in the championship and it was one of the most stunning tactical displays i've ever seen following football it was a guided tour into everything you needed to know about beating derby county how they play who plays where their plan a's their plan b's uh mason mount how mason mount likes to play football where he takes his shots Everything you possibly wanted to know about derby county was presented in this talk bielsa said that he spent 50, him and his team watched 51 games of Derby County from last season, analyzing their ins and outs. Every single game took four hours for him and his team to document any statistical quirks and things to make, pay attention to. And then it created a master dossier on how to defeat Derby. He had done this for every single team in the championship, not only every single team in the championship, but also particular personnel. So uh, Leeds played Stoke on the weekend, uh, Stoke have a new manager after removing Gary Rowlett. So what he did, uh, their new gentleman who was previous manager of Luton Town, his team had watched every single Luton Town game from last season just to be up to speed on what Stoke might play on the weekend. This was a forensic detailing of 
every single person team in the championship. It it is Batman levels of I am prepared. <laughs> I am prepared for every single optimal and suboptimal scenario within the championship. And, and the British media was largely just shocked by it. Frank Lampard himself said he wasn't that impressed by it because every single team, you'd expect every single team to have some sort of dossier or a scouting report. But I think what was truly shocking was the level of detail Bielsa had. There is an anecdote about in the Copa del Rey final between Bielsa's uh, athletic Bilbao side and Barcelona. Bielsa handed Pep Guardiola the dossier he had on Barcelona. I went, why don't you read it? Pep Guardiola, a man who loves Bielsa and said he studied Bielsa and, and he learned so much from his game and he bases, bases a lot of his techniques off Bielsa as much as he does off Johan Cruyff. Looked through his dossier and went, you know more about Barcelona than I know about Barcelona. And Bielsa went, it doesn't matter because you beat me 3-0. This is the fascinating thing about Bielsa and, you know, leads the top of the championship. Is, is, is this where we mentioned that, I looked it up, Derby County beat Reading a couple of days ago? So like... Why weren't they like taking the little tidbits from the Bielsa conference? And as I've just explained to you, you can know everything you want. Knowing the plan and putting the plan into action are two very different true, things. True, true, true. Uh, but yeah, he's, this is more or less a it was a Godfather two level display of I I knew it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. Well, essentially, Lampard going Bielsa cheated, and Bielsa going okay. Well, here's a two hour lecture on, to every single team on how to defeat you. <laughs> Shout out to Ashley Cole going to Derby County, by the way. Do you have any thoughts on like? spying in football like are you interested well, I, th- I think it's great like there is completely nothing wrong with it because again like as Carl mentioned you know you can like look like Scornthorpe can literally have an entire team of scientists sitting and watch Guardiola's Man City and everything they do from how well from what they eat how they sleep how they shit how they live how they sh- everything City will still beat them nine times out of ten that's why I like that in England, you're, you're seeing sort of like a divide. For some people, it's like, my gosh, this is so morally wrong. This is ethically wrong. Like points should be um, docked from leads and so forth. But other guys say, no, my gosh, man, this is brilliant what this, this guy did. He hasn't broken any rules. So if he's not broken any rules, by no fault should they be docked or any, anything, any points. And the fact of the matter is that this is how much he wants to win. Gaining an edge of your opponent, seeing what your opponent is trying to do. And I'm sure Bielsa would have said, wait, are you sure that's nothing in this is illegal? Let's say, no, no, this is not illegal. Boom, do it. So do anything within a legal framework to win. It's cool by me. I've I've always said that I would cheat or or dope to win a World Cup for Nigeria, 100%. So (laughs) it's like, again, for me, I just thought it was, you know, people making a big deal out of it was just, you know, point pointless personally. All right, just quick transfer news. Boateng to Barcelona. Is this real? Oh. Is this yes, real? Yes, confirmed. It's on, real, it's, on, it's on Barcelona's uh, website right now. Kevin <laughs> Boateng has signed to Barcelona on a six-month loan deal. Um, the general belief is he's going to play as sort of a midfield to striking backup for Luis Suarez. Wow. Um, okay. Do you know it's, what? It's, I, I laughed when they signed Paulinho. I thought that was just stupid. And then he ended up being all right. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe Boateng will be all right, too. Kevin Prince Boateng has had one of the most interesting careers in recent football. He he has played in four of the five major leagues. He's played for Tom Hotspur and Portsmouth in the Premier League. He's played for uh, Schalke and Frankfurt in the Bundesliga. He won the DBF Polkai, which is their version of a, the, the FA Cup in, in Germany. 
Um, he has played for oh, Las Palmas cool. in uh, Spain, played in Sassuolo and Milan, Milan in Italy, and now he, you know, he, he will most likely win a La Liga with Barcelona. He was a standout player in the 2010 World Cup. There's a fantastic interview with him and Sid Lowe on The Guardian where he talks about a conversation he had with Nelson Mandela in 2010 um, and what the, the, the 2010 World Cup meant for Africa that I recommend you should all check out as well. Uh, it looks like Higuain is coming to Chelsea. Uh, Morata is going to Atletico Madrid. Don't sigh. Don't sigh there, Dan. Um, <laughs> It looks like Pietek's gonna end up at uh, AC Milan. That that's the that's the transfer that Milan needed in order to let Higuain go. Higuain wasn't in uh, Milan's matchday squad, and he was when they played for the Italian Super Cup against Juventus. So, yeah, Morata's gone. That's cool. Who knows where Mitchie's gonna end up? Some say Everton for like forty million euros. Others say like a loan to Monaco. I hope he goes to Monaco. Because Thierry Henry really needs him. Because they lost 5-1 to Strasbourg on the weekend. It might have been 6-1, even though there was a red card. You know, we talked about 9-0 last week. Was that a resurrection? Yep. PSG began gone. This, this was. No, no. It's, it's in, wait, wait, sorry, sorry. Aren't they in the same league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Burton is in, like, League 1, League 2, probably. And then they get That's... beat 9-0 by Man City. Gangon is in the same league as PSG. So it's worse. Two hat tricks? <laughs> Who gets the ball? This is my question. If there's only one match ball and there's two hat tricks by two different players in the same game, who gets the ball? The one who got the hat trick first? How does this work? I think which was the better hat trick, maybe. Or they, or they just fight for it. Maybe throw the ball up and they, they, they fight for it. <laughs> I, I feel like Cavani could probably beat up Mbappe. Yeah, look, man, that's that, that, that Cameroonian blood ain't nothing to sneeze at, man. So, but may, maybe Cavani gets the ball just based off seniority, or would it be like I have more of these than you do, so you get the match ball? So they give it to yeah, Mbappe. No, yeah, I mean, I mean I basically, Cavani should give it to Mbappe as being the older player, give it to Mbappe, man. Come on, yeah, all right. So, let's let's do a few questions and uh, then we'll do the extra and, and we'll get out of here. Thoughts on board signings, odds first. I think this is an interesting question given that football is going the direction of head coaches and not managers. So when someone, when, when a person who's meant to be leading a football team is signed and they're a manager, it's inferred that they are the person who's in control of the transfers. When it's a head coach, it's inferred that your job is just to coach the players that the team gives you which means there's more likely than not going to be someone who's buying the players, finding the players, and you can make suggestions, but you can't really, you don't have control of the money. So I feel like our thoughts on board signings, I just think it's just, that's where football is going. It's just like a director of football or the club in general are just going to buy players for the head coaches to coach. Yeah, no, no, look, yeah, man. I mean, I mean, everything evolves in football and everything changes. And I just think that, you know, with, the board becoming a lot more influential. I think Mourinho even made the point because he said that um, managers have complete oh. control. Those days are over. Yeah, like like we're not going to get any like omelet speeches or, you know, if you want me to make dinner, but you won't let me get the groceries, then mm. you're going to judge me when I can't get the gro- Like one of those, um, I forgot which coach said it. It might be a different sport. It could be basketball. That was Mourinho. Mourinho made a speech about eggs and omelets and said he's only got level three eggs and now you're complaining <laughs> you can't make good omelets yeah, yeah, yeah. like something those... particularly interesting about Mourinho is his english seems to have got worse <laughs> i thought that bro. Like, he, he was a lot more 
I was thinking during the BN interview, I was like, this guy was translating for Bobby Robson. Like, how? <laughs> Which, you know, I, 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 how? I, I don't know how it's happened, but I, I suppose his English has become a lot more functional. So learning Italian and learning Spanish in the meantime, he just forgot the English that he had when he came from Porto. Uh, uh, in terms of board signings, I, something I think that's going to become particularly interesting is manager scouting. So Southampton used to scout managers and then they fell into that firefighter thing with um, Mark Hughes and whatnot. And now they've only, you know, they've just seemed to recover now with uh, Hasselhutl, uh amicably to, by mutual consent with split terms with David Wagner and now have their new manager whose name I will learn, but I don't know it yet. Uh, and I think this this is will be the new recruitment system. So this is something you're seeing a lot more in the Bundesliga. So we know who's going to take over Red Bull Leipzig next season. Hoffenheim. Um, Nagelsmann. Yes, Nagelsmann. so Nagelsmann's going to go to uh, Red Bull Leipzig next season. Uh, and we are seeing now, not only are we seeing what player can come in and improve this squad, we're also beginning to see what manager can come in and take care of this squad based on what we've got. Because you don't want to end up in a situation where you've got loads of young talent and you've given them Mourinho. Or you don't want a situation where you've got, you know, for a team like Huddersfield right now, the problem isn't, we can't defend. The problem is we can't score enough goals. So you need to get in someone who can kickstart that. So then we ha- I think that happened. But also, you know, you know, these things are always subject to change. You can you can make all the correct board signings, but you can get to a situation like Arsenal where they've gone, where your head of recruitment's gone, hang on, you're, this isn't the job I signed up for. I'm leaving after 14 months. Or you can have a situation like Southampton where it was working really well as a long-term plan, but then you ended up in a, in a relegation battle. Then you hired a fireman and now you're having to reset everything. Or you could be in a situation like Everton where it looked like it was going to work really well on the Ronald Koeman. And then you had a massive slump and you're like, uh, 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 what do you do? And then you have six months on, on the Sam Allardyce and it, you're trying to figure out, is Marco Silva the right guy now? Um, next question. Best under 23 player likely to challenge for Ballon d'Or later. How old is Usman Dembele? 21. There you go. Which is, which is a crazy thought. Mbappe is what, 20? So I'm going to go with Mbappe. Have hopes going with Dembele. Uh, next question. Who have been your PL players of the season so far? So best players in the Premier League. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go with Eden Hazard. 10 goals, 10 assists in the league. I think that's special. I'm going to go with Eden. I'm going to go with Van Dijk, I think. Oh, for sure, yeah. Fernandinho. That's a good one. Uh, Christian Eriksen still has been fantastic, as had Son. Son, low-key, is the sort of player that Roman would need to buy. He's two-footed, really quick, progressing the ball vertically, and he takes a lot of shots. Uh, yeah, Van Dijk's been fantastic. Mo Salah's been great. David Silva's been fantastic. Uh, Sergio Aguero's been fantastic. Outside the top six, um, Callum Wilson's been great. Ryan Fraser's been good. I want to talk about a gentleman who I've completely forgotten his name, but he plays for Everton. He's their whole DM for Everton. Oh, gay? Yes, just a gay. He's great. As, as sort of like not quite as good as N'Golo Kante but doing the job of N'Golo Kante has been really good um, and Lucas Torreira has been great and if you ask me that Ballon d'Or question it's Mbappe yeah yeah. special mention for Dele Alli Dele Alli is only 22 what? if you want to play on the 23 who, who's, he who looks like, like Ballon, 26 what's wrong Ballon with him? No, no, he looks a lot older no, no, but, but Ali has no chance of getting the Ballon d'Or in the future now sorry in, in terms of you want a player on the age of 23 who has the potential to win a Ballon d'Or, it's him. He won't win it if he's at Spurs, but if City thing has happened and he ends up at another football club in Europe, yeah, he's he's definitely going to be in top 10 in voting one day. Absolutely. 
but but he's not. You can't really put him in the same kind of conversation as a Mbappe and a Dembele. Oh no 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 no. Also, uh, Loftus Cheek is better than Deli Ali. He's not because Loftus Cheek isn't playing. But Sancho has done more for me in the six months than Ali has had in his whole career. For me, <laughs> that is an That's egregious. That is an egregious statement. No, no, yes, an egregious statement. Next, next question: Why do players who are still in their prime or have yet to reach their prime severely decline in performance? Because life happens. It's not FIFA. It's not football manager. Right. You can yeah. you can be doing really really well, and then you can get a hamstring injury and not. Really we don't know recover. what the outside variables of people. You can be you can be Mario. You can be Mario Götze being referred to as the German Messi, and then it turns out you had a, a metabolism problem all along. You could be Roberto Soldado who comes over to England, and your wife has a terrible health scare, and then you don't really recover it. You could be Paulinho who's being called the Brazilian Frank Lampard, and then you go over to Spurs and then managers brought you over, gets fired, and you get Tim Sherwood. You could be Mika Richards, someone tipped to, to be a future England captain and be the linchpin of Manchester City, and then you do your ankle and then Pablo Zabalet gets bought ahead of you. You could be... We get it. Yeah, like life happens. <laughs> like shit happens, bro. And some, uh, some look, I know, yeah, sometimes it is your fault. Like Ryan Barbo just had an interesting interview in The Guardian. Now he's back at Fulham. I went, yeah, it's my fault. I didn't apply myself in the way I should have applied myself. Or Renato Sanchez. Renato Sanchez had this thing where he's like, yeah, I was probably not ready to go to Bayern Munich at the age I went to Bayern Munich. And I didn't play and I got really sad and went to Swansea and it just rained in Swansea all the time. Or you can be Luka Jovic who went, and then I went to Benfica and I didn't speak the language. But like, just because a player doesn't progress in the way FIFA says it doesn't mean they're a brick. or doesn't mean they're terrible. Like, not everyone can be a Ballon d'Or winner. Sorry, sorry. One final point. Player prime, your idea of what a player's prime is, is incorrect. Because what you're using as an indicator of a player's prime is the top 1% of football players. So just because a player, you say, oh, he's entering his prime because he's 28. Most football players peak by 24. And when I say most, I mean the hundreds of thousands of players that do not play for the top 20 clubs in Europe. Most football players start their careers at age 8, and then by 24, they're as good as they're going to get. It is only the elite the elite hundred or, or thousand football players in Europe right now that get to progress past the age of 24, that get to change positions, that get to learn and and get the the Victor Moses jump or the Marcus Alonso jump or get the Sergio Aguero, I've learned how to press jump. So don't don't think because a player has stalled at 24, they're a brick. They're just a regular human being. Hmm. You've, got, you've got to remember, most football players playing nowadays have had a career since the age of eight years of age, have been being two-footed and going to football training twice a week from the age of eight. And then at the age of 14, they were told, you have to drop out of school now if you want to take this seriously. Like These careers last 10 years. And by the time you see a guy at age 18, they've been playing football for a decade. Football is different. Does time wasting and players faking injuries at the end of games annoy you? I think he assumes yes. What can we do to stop this? I am thinking of the PSG Liverpool game. The last 15 minutes of the game was very unenjoyable because the game kept stopping every two minutes. So basically, does time wasting annoy you? Only if it's not your team. So if it's not your team, of course. If like if Nigeria are playing and like Italy are pretty much time wasting and, and everything and it's one zero down, of course I'll be pissed off. I want to break the TV. But unless the rule changes, it is what it is. And this, this goes to the whole Spygate thing. It isn't within the law that says it is illegal to time waste. So again, it's about high-level competition, doing anything within the legal framework to win. So tactical fouls, 
time wasting, taking a bit of a long time to take throw-ins, a bit of a long. So, but none of these things are illegal. None of these things are against the rule book. But again, you're doing everything you can to win because it's all about winning. Because you want to win so desperately, what can we do that isn't illegal that will help us to win the flipping game? So. Yeah. Here's what it is. A quick note: it is it is something that's been raised within uh, FIFA and the FA as to in play action. So one suggestion from the FA was to change games from ninety minutes to a one hour time limit. So rather than have the game last ninety minutes plus stoppage time, basically any time the ball goes out of play, you stop the timer. So like basketball, basically, yeah, like, yeah, basketball, yeah. like basketball, and then you okay. begin, then you begin afterwards. Because I think now. I may have got the the fixture wrong, but I believe it was a game between Burnley and I want to say Huddersfield. The ball was in play, as in in motion and whatnot, in that ninety minute period for something like forty seven minutes. Which you know, people say that's bad product. That's not a particularly interesting game to watch on TV and whatnot. But you know, as I've as I've said about diving and other things in football, it is a skill, and that teams that are particularly good at time wasting tend to do quite well at it. They Athletic wasted half a game. They managed to waste half an hour through <laughs> set pieces and whatnot. Um, that's that's Atletico crazy. Atletico Madrid are particularly good at killing time in a game of football. If you want to watch a side absolutely slow a game down via time wasting, I recommend you look up the second leg of Atletico Madrid versus Arsenal in the Europa League last season. They were masterclass of slowing down everything just to wind up Arsenal. I mean, see, I I don't like the idea of, like, stopping the clock because that's inching closer to, like, you know what? While we stop the clock here, here's an advertisement for Heineken <laughs> yeah, or yeah, yeah. McDonald's or something like that. Like, it's it's a little bit too close. Almost like when they do, when it's really hot and they have, like, the mid-break. So, like, at 30 minutes or whatever, they take, like, a little water break in the first half. Second. I'm like, eventually somebody's going to throw a commercial in here and it's going to start the when you watch an NFL game or an NBA game or something like that. All right, last question from Robin Schutz. How many unreported haircuts Pogba bought with his recent performances? I'm not Five. quite trying to understand this question, but... Basically, Pogba's been playing good now, so no one's talking about his haircuts, so... Oh, I, I see. Oh, how, can we talk about... Marcus Rashford has a weird f- haircut, isn't it? I it's just odd. I just want to say that. It's a really <laughs> odd haircut. Anyway, that, that'll do. That'll do. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this has been the Talk of Tactics podcast where we do this every Tuesday. Remember to subscribe on iTunes if you if you already have it. Patreon backers, you'll be getting your 30 to 40 minutes of Talking Tactics Extra. So make sure to check. Download the app, the Patreon app. It's, it's really good, actually. Uh, leave us a five-star review and we'll read on the show. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. Spotify, shout out to you guys as well. Um, yeah. I'm Daniel. Carl, where can people find you? Anchorman616. Double H. Um, at Half Hole Pots. Talking Tactics Podcast. Sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Hey, Dave. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Sports Social Podcast Network.